may be seated. Good morning. My name is Robert. I'm uh, the lead pastor here at Mercy House. I want to welcome you all. Welcome some of you back uh, who've been on winter break. And uh, we, as a, we always do this, beginning of a semester, we start a new sermon series. And so this sermon series is called The Big Reveal. And uh, it's going to be all throughout the Gospel uh, of John. And we won't, I won't preach every word of the Gospel of John. Um, those will be some really long sermons. But uh, if you do the reading plan that's on your chair today, uh, you will have read and reflected on and prayerfully considered all of the Gospel of John if you do that reading plan. Uh, you will also have read what's going to be preached on when you come in. If you keep that schedule that's in there, uh, you'll be primed a bit and uh, already have some of that Scripture in, in you before you walk in and hear it preached, which I think is going to be really helpful to you uh, as you explore what John is revealing uh, through the Gospel of John. I picked the, the, the campaign, sort of the sermon uh, name, uh, The Big Reveal, because partly our culture loves The Big Reveal. We love this. Uh, I, I Googled it this week. There, you know, there's always something new that's being revealed. And the first few things that came up, one was that Tiger Woods, he, he's, he's playing golf again. But bigger than that, he, he's, like, uh, he's revealing uh, Taylor products. You know, this is a new company that he's marketing for, and he's revealing the, the, their products. And so he's now tailor-made, is what was all over the Internet and uh, if you're a golfer, you know all, all about that. The, 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 all, the thing that also came up was uh, the Galaxy 7 Samsung phone. Big reveal. Eh, not that big of a reveal. It blows up, starts fires, things like that. Um, so maybe that's not a good example. There was the, the McDonald's limited edition bottles of secret Big Mac sauce. 10,000 of these that were given away for free at uh, your local McDonald's. So... Uh, that was a, a big reveal uh, for the week. And then, of course, what came up was Fix Your Upper. Uh, the, you know, they, they are the king and queen of the big reveal. At the end of every show, they're revealing the, uh, the new house that, or the, 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 the renewed house that they've just been working on. And we love this. We love this, this big reveal, little, little hints and clues that something's coming, something's coming, and then the big moment where it's... Revealed, and I would say we're, we're built for this. We're created for this. We're created to be in awe of something. We are revelation receivers. We are hungry for, for something glorious, something that we could have never imagined. And then when we, when, when we see it, it it's, it's something that uh, we've been longing for and waiting for and to be honest, many of these big reveals, well, they don't just cut the mustard, do they, right? I mean, I mean think about when Steve Jobs came out with the, the first iPhone. Uh, I mean, he's, he's, he may be the king of the big reveal. Right? He, I mean, when he, when he came out with the iPhone and there was much fanfare and there was much, many leaks in the media and a lot of buildup and he's standing there with, with his iPhone and, it, and it's this, this sleek thing and it's beautiful and it's got technology and, you know, this iPhone 1, here it is, big, you know, it's, it's, it hardly has any memory in it. Like, it's dead. It, 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 I don't know why I even keep it, right? It, it just, it's like a paperweight on my desk. But, but when it first came out, Right? It, it was a great reveal, and the whole world was like, wow, and many were willing to spend $600 to, 
to actually have it in their, in their grasp. And so I think what happens oftentimes, we can put, become a little bit discouraged about our, our hunger for the big reveal, our hunger for glory, our hunger to be in awe of something, and we sort of give up on that. And I want to say this morning, don't give up on that. Don't give up on that. You, you're actually built for that. You're created for that. You're a revelation receiver. It, it, the only thing is that you're created to behold the most glorious one in the universe, God. The one whose glory never wears out. The one who, as you behold that glory, uh, day in and day out, it becomes more glorious, not less glorious, like an iPhone. And, and thankfully, God is one who, by His very nature, reveals Himself. You, you see this in the opening chapters of the Bible. If you've ever read through the Bible or tried to read through the Bible and you opened up to Genesis 1 and you read the first few verses, this is what you read, Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and God said, let there be light. And there was light. In the opening verses, we see how God reveals Himself to human beings, or at least two, two ways, right? So, so we see Him revealing Himself through the creation, right? He, he, he creates, and we, we can know at least something about Him by what He creates. Now, this is what uh, Paul is writing about, like in Romans 1, when he says this, for His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. He's saying God reveals himself through the creation. Now think about, think about this building that we're in. Right? Does anybody believe that there was a designer of this building? Anybody believe that? A few of you? Others of you are like, no, probably no one designed this building. I mean, it's just a wreck and no, I, I think most of us would say, no, some, someone designed this building. What about, did someone build the building? Did, did, was there a builder? Yes. There was a, how do you know that? It was built in 1951. I wasn't even alive in 1951. Like, what? How do you know that? You know that because, because as you look at the results, right? And when I first walked in this sanctuary and I, and I saw that, that, that rounded ceiling there, I, I was like, Wow. Like, they really went to a lot of effort and poured a lot of dollars into creating this, this ceiling, and it matches the windows, and, and it's, it's I, I love this space, right? And, and I know at least a little bit about the designer and the builder that they would, they're willing to go through whatever pain and agony it took them to create this, this space. But I don't know a lot about them. I don't know a lot. I know a little. I don't know if they're a man or a woman. I, I don't know if, if they were married or not. I, I don't know if they had kids. I, I, I don't know if they designed it and they designed and built other things. I, I don't know. I just know just, just a little bit. God's revelation is similar, right? He, he, he reveals himself through his creation, but there's only so much we can see, so much we can know. It's, a, it's some, but it's, it's only limited. So he also reveals himself by speaking. We see that, in the, again, in that passage I just read. He's, he's speaking. This is uh, sometimes called uh, not, not, just, not natural revelation, like 
creation, uh, but special revelation. Right? He's, he's actually speaking, he's revealing himself through his word. Right? And so he, he's a God who reveals. This is, this is his nature, both through his creating and through his word. And throughout history, uh, that's what he was doing. He was revealing himself, both through his creation, of course, but then through different spokespeople, right? Prophets, priests, kings, and, and he would speak through them and that, that would become the word of God and that people could know about him in a more specific way because of his, his speaking to them. And throughout the Old Testament, all that revealing was leading up to the biggest reveal of all. And this is what John the Gospel writer is revealing. He's revealing the biggest reveal, the one that the creation itself and all of those prophets, priests, and kings that wrote the Word of God, all of them were revealing this, this biggest reveal. And, and he goes ahead and he's going to reveal that right off, right off the bat. The, the first 18 verses, we're going we're to hear, we're going to have this revealed to us. Uh, in the very opening, what's also often called the prologue of the Gospel of John. And so what he's going to do is throughout here, he's going to give us some clues, right? Any good big reveal person knows you got to give clues and you build up the hype and you build up the hype. And then finally, the big reveal. It's exactly how he writes these first 18 verses. So let's take a look at these verses. So look, let's look at these clues and this, then we'll look at the big Reveal. Now go ahead and follow with me in your Bible. So there's Bibles under the chairs. And uh, go ahead and look for uh, John, the Gospel. Not 1 John or 2nd or 3rd John, but John. All right, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And find chapter 1. And uh, you'll need to follow along with me, or you can find it on your phone as well. So John 1, 1. It starts in the beginning. Does that sound familiar? Yes. Yeah, just like the opening chapters of Genesis, right? He's good. So he's hearkening back to Genesis. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, All right? So he's going back to when God is first revealing himself. He's revealing himself through creating, but he's also speaking his Word. And he's saying, in the beginning was the Word. Now, the Greek word that he's using there is the Greek word logos, and so through this, the use of this word logos, he's reaching out to both Jews, the people of Israel, God's, God's people, and Greeks, right? non-Jews, Gentiles. And, and they use this word in, in, in some different ways, but both uh, of these ways are significant in understanding what John's doing here. So he's saying, in the beginning was the logos. When, when the Jew heard that, uh, their understanding was it, that it was God's word. But when a Jew was understanding God's word, they understood that God's word is equal to what he does, and what he does is equal to who he is. All right? So who he, what he says is equal to what he does, which is equal to what, who, who he is. And he's completely consistent. He's completely integrated. He's completely true from inside out. Wouldn't you like to be that kind of person? This is what we all long for, right? to be completely integrated, to be the very exact same person inside and out. What we say is what we do is who we are. Well, that is who God is. And so for uh, the Jew, for him to say something meant he was doing it. That, that was, that was, those were equal things. 
And so it made perfect sense for them to, to hear that in the beginning was the Word and to, to think about the Word not only as some word spoken, but as an action taken even as a person. It made to- total sense to them. Now, he's also reaching out to Greeks, right? So the way they used this word was to explain the power that was behind everything that was rational or reasonable in the universe. That's why we got our word logical from logos, right? They look at the world. They look at the universe. They're like, this is logical. Like, they, there's, there's some order here. I, I, I don't know exactly what's behind it, but there's something. And so they had this concept of kind of like, let the force be with you kind of concept. And, and so it, it, it was this, everything rational and reasonable had a, had a reason underneath it, something logical underneath. They didn't know exactly what it was, but they knew it was something, right? They didn't look at it and go, oh, this is total random and chaos. They, they didn't think that way. They knew there was something behind it. And so John is saying, that's the Word of God. This thing that you've been wondering about, Greeks, I'm about to reveal to you who is behind everything that's rational and reasonable and logical in the universe. Stunning. So sophisticated what he's doing here to reveal uh, what he's about to reveal to both Greeks and Jews. Now, he's revealing... That God and His Word, they're, they're personal. That's not really new information, especially not to, to the Jew. Um, we know that he, he, he takes on pronouns, right? He's a he. He's, he is communicating. He's, he's personal. That, that is not new, right? But what is new, and this is the first clue, is that there are multiple persons in the unified Godhead. That's new. That's new. This is the first clue. The one he is revealing is is the second person, at least. Now, we know as Christians there's three persons in the Godhead, but as far as you know from 1 through 18, pretty much, there's two persons at least. And that this word is a he, and the he is a person. You don't call things that are non-personal he's. He's a he. And so there's a, a, a personhood there. And so the first clue is there's a second person, and he's calling him the Logos, right? This is the first clue that is going to help us understand the big reveal. Now, there's been hints all throughout the Old Testament, even in the first chapter of Genesis, right? Genesis 1, 26, uh, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And honestly, Jewish rabbis kind of scratch their head when they read that. Don't know exactly what to do with it. Came up with some theories. But John, the gospel writer, is saying this is what's going on. That there are multiple persons in the unified Godhead. And he's revealing this second person that's in the Godhead. So that's your first, first clue. Now, this second person of the Godhead has a fairly impressive resume. I mean, check this out. Check check out verse 3. All things were made through him. That's impressive. You put that on a resume, you're going to get a job, okay? Like, wow. Without him was not anything made that was made. 
In him was life. Put that in your bullet point there. Uh, wow! In the second person of the Godhead was life itself. That life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He's revealing that this second person is the creator of the universe. That the first person said, let there be light. And the second person is like, I'm on it. I got it. Light. What do you think about that? That's awesome. That's very good. That's what's happening in the creation. The first person of the Godhead saying, let there be light. Second person is going, I'm going to do that. What do you think? <laughs> and the first person is going, that's good. That's glorious. Right? First person of the Godhead saying, hey, hey, let's, let's do beaches. Let's, let's do mountains. Let's, let's do galaxies. How about that? Second person, I got it. I'm on it. What do you think about that? That's good. That is so glorious. Right? I mean, the Apostle Paul, he writes about this in Colossians 1. He, talking about second person of the Godhead, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. Okay, so, so now he didn't, he didn't just create the universe. He's sustaining the universe. Don't you think that's impressive? It's amazing. Now, some of you are going, oh, that's cute. That's cute. I mean, you know, John, he, he could make up some kind of crazy theory about the nature of God. I mean, it's a shame he didn't have the internet. He could put up a website and start blogging about his crazy new religion, and then everyone could start following his... I mean, come on. Well, John's just getting started. He's just getting started. And so he, he's going to be bringing out lots of evidence to point to the reality of what he's just said in the opening lines of his prologue. So the first evidence he's going to bring out is about John the Baptist. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light. He came to bear witness about the light. So evidence number one, John the Baptist. Now for us, John the Baptist, we're like, he's a weird guy. He, he dressed up in camel's hair and ate bugs. Like, What's the big deal? He was a big deal. All the gospel writers mention him. He was very well known. I mean, he's like a rock star among Old Testament prophets. Like he's the last of, of the prophets. And he is there to reveal the messianic king. And he makes very, very clear about that. And people will ask him, are you the Messiah? He's like, no, 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 no. I'm not the Messiah. I'm here to be a road builder for the Messiah. I'm here to, to, to open the door here and in, introduce him. I'm the bridegroom. He's the groom, not me. And, and people really respected him. And when he would have a, an event and he was teaching, it, it, said, it said things in, in other gospels, all of Galilee would show up. So everybody knows this guy. Everybody respects this guy. 
And so what John is doing, he's revealing, and you find out later, John was actually a follower of John the Baptist, John the Gospel writer, right? And partly that's confusing because you've got Gospel of John, you've got John the Baptist, got a lot of Johns bouncing around in this first chapter. The Gospel writer is not John the Baptist, okay? The Gospel writer is John the disciple who's now explaining about John the Baptist. So John the Baptist reveals this second person of the Godhead, right? He reveals him as the Messianic king that Israel has been waiting for for centuries. So this is your second, your second clue as you work toward the big reveal. This second person of the Godhead is also the Messiah. He's also the king that Israel has been waiting for and that John the Baptist has been introducing to Israel. I mean, look at these two verses here, four and seven. Uh, you have John, the gospel writer, saying, in him was life and the life was the light of men. And then in seven, you have John, the gospel writer, saying about John the Baptist that he came as a witness to bear witness about the light. So he's, he's letting us know that Messiah that John was, was promoting, that he was uh, the opening act for, is the same second person of the Godhead that John the Gospel writer is revealing. Now, most of Israel didn't realize that the Messiah was also going to be God himself. Uh, and so this is, this is big. These clues are huge reveals leading up to the biggest reveal at the end of these verses. Now, why? Why? Why, why, why? Why would God become a human and become the messianic king that Israel's waiting for? Well, he just explains this as well. Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So here we find that the reason that the second person of the Godhead would become a human, show up as the divine messianic king, is to repair the rift that is between human beings and God. I mean, think of the irony of those verses I just read. Like the creator of the universe, the sustainer of the universe shows up in human form and they reject him. Humans reject him. That's a riff. <laughs> that's a problem. And that's the problem that he's come to remedy. And he's saying that those that believe, trust in, place faith in this one that he's about to reveal they go from being light haters and God haters to being light lovers and children of God. And the way that that happens is they exercise belief in the one that John is revealing in his gospel. And this is the only reason John wrote this gospel. We know that because John 20, you, you can see his thesis statement. He probably wouldn't have got a very good you know, grade in college because he didn't put the thesis statement up front, but he just, he reveals it in, the, in, the, in, in, in chapter 20, and he basically says, I wrote this so you could believe and have life, right? I want you to know this one. That's your only hope, right? And so he's come to, to, to repair the rift that is between humans 
and God. So, who is this person? Who is this person? Well, he holds off a little bit. He's good at this big reveal thing, right? I mean, this is when you're ready for the big reveal and then commercial break, right? This is so typical of those kind of shows. And so commercial break, except in this commercial break, he's going to roll out some more evidence that is going to help us want to believe, want to trust, want to faith in the one that he's revealing. So here's what he says, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John, as in John the Baptist, bore witness about him and cried out, this was he who, whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. So he, he rolls out some more evidence. And this time the evidence is, is that he has beheld the glory of the one he's about to reveal to us in his gospel. He's letting us know, this is not a dream I had. This is not some kind of drug-induced mystical vision I had. This isn't something that I just heard through story after story after story after story, and now I'm just like giving you this sort of oral tradition that has been around for generations. I saw it. I beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only. He writes in 1 John, another one of his letters, this, he says, that was from the beginning, sounds familiar, doesn't it? which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. We've seen it. We testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we've seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. He's letting you know he has beheld this one that he's about to reveal to you. Not a dream, not a mystical experience that he had. He saw, he heard, he touched the one that he's about to reveal. Okay, okay, so who is he? Who is this, this one who's the second person of the Godhead? This one who is the messianic king that Israel's been waiting for for centuries? Who, who is this one who's come to repair the rift between God and human beings? Well, he finally reveals in 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. There's the big reveal. There's the biggest reveal. That the one who is the second person of the Godhead, who is divine, the one, one who is the messianic king that Israel was waiting for, the one who's come to repair the rift between humans and God is Jesus Christ. Even, even his name reveals some things about him. Jesus, right? Jesus, it, it means Yahweh saves. He's a savior. Right? We know as Christians, he's, he's saving us from sin. We know that he's becoming a human. He, he's becoming flesh. He's making his dwelling among us, not just to be an example of a nice person. He, he's coming to die on the cross. And he's dying in our place to pay the penalty of, of sin. And, and not only is he a savior, but he's a Christ. Right? He's, that, that, that means anointed one. 
It was the word they used for the, the messianic king that they were all waiting for. So not only is he savior, but he's coming to save and establish his rule, his reign, his kingdom is coming through his salvation that by the end of the book, you're going to see that salvation when it cost him to, to offer that salvation to those who will, reveal, will believe. And so some may be a little skeptical, like, okay, I hear that, but I'm not convinced. And so I, I want to challenge you to read the book of John, to, to, to get the reading guide and to follow along, to come each week to hear these sermons, to open yourself to the possibility that Jesus actually is who he says he is, who the Bible says he is. Because if he is, that changes everything. That changes everything. And to put your belief, the full weight of your life, both in this life and the life to come, on him. To trust that what he's done on the cross for you is your only hope. Others of us, uh, we've experienced at least some level of the reveal. We've come to that place where we've believed and we've experienced life in Jesus. But his glory is so astounding that you never can take it in completely. He's not like an iPhone. It's not like glory in the beginning and then it just kind of you know, goes down. No! It's actually the opposite with him. As you behold his glory, you, you then see there's greater glory and greater glory. Actually, we're going to be doing that throughout eternity. That's how glorious he is. He's infinite, infinitely glorious. And so as we behold his glory, that hunger that you have to be awed, that, that hunger you have uh, to, to, to see this reveal, the hunger you have because you're a revelation receiver, you're going to have that hunger fed by beholding his glory week in and week out as you read the scriptures, as you hear the word preached, as you discuss that word with other people, maybe in a small group that you sign up for in a few minutes. All of that are opportunities for you to, to behold his glory. And, you know, the, the first time that really struck home with me was when I was a college student. I had been a Christian for like six weeks when I came to, to, uh, uh, to, to the University of Texas as a freshman, and I met a college pastor, and he could tell I didn't know anything, and I, I needed some leadership. I needed some shepherding. And he was like, hey, come to my office on Tuesday and bring a friend. And so I brought a friend. He wasn't a Christian yet. And we went in, sat down, and he pulled out some Bibles off the shelf, and he's like, we're going to study the book of John. And I was like, great, yeah, whatever that means. I don't know, Bible study, I, yeah, let's do it. And I met Jesus in those pages that semester. I mean, I was studying other things. I was studying biology and chemistry and Spanish, and I wasn't doing very good in Spanish, but, but I, I, was, I was studying information in other classes. But what I beheld in the pages of that Bible was God himself. As I experienced the second person of the Trinity, right? Through the work of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So don't miss it. Don't miss it. I, I know you, you've got work, you've got home, you've you got studies, you've got all kinds of stuff. Don't, don't miss this. Don't miss this opportunity to behold His glory.
as you read that scripture, as you hear these sermons, as we walk together in this word this semester. We also behold his glory when we come to the table here. It's interesting to me. He, he's there in the flesh, right? He's standing there as a human in a real room with real people. And, and he's taking the bread, he's breaking it with real hands, and he's offering it to them. And he's saying, this is my body given for you. This is why he came. This is why he became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It's so that his body could be offered up as a sacrifice. And so we remember that every time we come to this, this table, a real flesh and blood Jesus, not just some Christ of faith or some mystical vision, a real Christ who was broken for us. We remember that. He also took the cup, and after he blessed the cup, he gave it to them, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Again, this, this is why he came. This is why he came as, as a human being, so that he could die. His blood could be poured out. Why? Because of our sins, because of the riff. This is why there was a riff. Because we'd sinned against a holy God, and the only way we were going to have that riff repaired was if a holy God came as a human and died in our place. And those of us that believe, we receive that forgiveness and we're reconciled with God, right? We just read, those that receive him, that believe in his name, you become the children of God. You go from being light haters and God haters to being light lovers and children, sons and daughters, of God, but that can only happen through faith in Jesus Christ. So if you are at that place where you know, okay, I've, I've heard enough, I don't know everything, but I've heard enough that I know I want to put my belief, my trust, my hope in this crucified and risen Christ, then do it today. Do it today. Do it in these moments right now. Go to him in, in prayer and by faith receive the forgiveness that he offers through his death on the cross. And then I would encourage you to come up here in a minute and, and take communion. Take the bread and the cup as a way to acknowledge that, to remember that, to profess that as a Christ follower, even though you've been one for 30 seconds. Others of you, again, if, if you're not uh, a Christian, you've come here to investigate, you're just getting started and you know, you, you, you've got some questions, you've got some conversations you need to be having. Uh, we're really glad you're here. But during this time of communion, we encourage you to remain in your seat, to pray, think about what you're hearing, and, uh, and then finish that conversation. I, I'll be down here uh, after the service, love to talk. And there may be a friend here also that you could talk to as well. And others of us who we've beheld His glory, we've beheld at least enough of it, where we've We've put our faith, our trust in Christ, and, and we are his followers. Uh, let's, let's behold it in a, in a fresh way in these moments. Right? From the word that we've heard preached, from, from the taking of the bread and the cup, because again, our hearts, we, we need to go from glory to glory, do we not? Like, like the glory that was, we, we beheld yesterday, we, we, need to, we need to press in. We need to experience even more glory of the glory of God in these moments through his word and through the breaking of the bread and the taking of the cup. So let's pray. God, we 
are so grateful that you are a God who reveals. You're not, you're not one that's distant and in some murky, dark, mystical world where we kind of, sort of feel that you might be there, but that you came down, became a human being. And that these eyewitness accounts that we can read were there beholding you, hearing you, touching you, being right there with you, beholding your glory. And so, God, we also know that you reveal yourself uh, through your word, through the bread and the cup this morning. So would you come and each, each of us, we, we need a fresh revelation of who you are today, Lord. And so use this time as we reflect on what we've heard preached, as we consider what the bread and the cup mean for us. Uh, may we behold that glory and we thank you for it. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.